This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous. When we think about Hollywood royalty, we may think about legacy studios or starlets of yesteryear. But when I think about Hollywood royalty, I think about characters. And one group of characters that are the epitome of Tinseltown nobility is the Looney Tunes. The Toons of Loon have been in the news a lot recently, and it got me thinking about how important they are to Hollywood history, and from what happened this week, could be very important to its future. This week, we're taking a brief walk through the history of the Looney Tunes, why Hollywood doesn't know what to do with them, and why they are so important. So, if that sounds good to you, let's get started. So I want to start off this episode by addressing the very obvious elephant in the room um, in that I was not here last week. I, as you could probably tell from the sound of my voice, was a little bit sick. Um, Not a little bit, a lot of bit sick. And so I uh, was neither coherent nor sounding at all great so i appreciate you guys for letting me take a week off but we're back so obviously we're talking about the looney tunes now the looney tunes are a very interesting case when it comes to their sector of uh history especially animation history now when we often think about like american animation disney tends to take over that that thought process it's kind of like disney and then everyone else but sometimes, but sometimes I think we tend to forget just how big the Looney Tunes were for so many years. I think there was like a period of time where um, Bugs Bunny was like, but like rivaled, if not surpassed Mickey Mouse as far as notoriety goes. Um, and I think in like a 1976 poll, they polled Americans on characters real and fictional like who are the most popular and Bugs Bunny came in second and if you're wondering who came in first uh it was not Mickey Mouse it was Abraham Lincoln so I don't I don't know what that means um but yeah so the Looney Tunes are just a very very big piece of of animation history both in America and kind of just 
abroad. But when we think about like where we tend to see them, which is within shorts or within movies, their impact doesn't feel as massive and it doesn't match up with the notoriety outside of that context. So hopefully during this episode, we can kind of dive into maybe why that is and hopefully get to the bottom of of their history. So like I said, when it came to or when it comes to kind of the beginnings of animation and especially American animation, um, Disney tends to take over that thought process. And uh, when it comes to the history of the Looney Tunes, Disney is very much involved <laughs> in in the in the creation of, of the Looney Tunes as a property. Like they didn't fully exist in a vacuum um, by themselves. So essentially, a lot of the beginnings, the very humble beginnings of of the Looney Tunes, um, comes at. So the very humble beginnings of the Looney Tunes does pretty much start at Disney. Um, the first kind of crop of animators that would be essentially kind of create um, the Warner Brothers animation department were a lot of former Disney animators who left for a myriad of reasons, you know, creative differences, pay, you know, a, a lot, a lot, a lot of reasons but a lot of it began because of the character Oswald the Lucky Rabbit which was a creation of Walt Disney and um of Iwerks who was his like creative partner at the time there was a producer by the name of Charles Mintz he took the character of Oswald sold it to Universal and so like they lost the rights to the character at the time at uh Universal there were two animators by the name of Hugh Harmon and Rudolph Ising uh, who were going to be set to work on the Oswald cartoons, but eventually the Oswald property as a whole kind of got pulled. And so they had nothing to work on. So they eventually left Universal and they went to the very fledgling, very new uh, Warner Brothers animation studio. They were joined by another person by the name of Frizz Freeling and a whole host of other, again, former Disney animators. Pretty much all of these people kind of made their way through the Disney animation machine uh, before landing at Warner Brothers. So obviously because they were all coming from the same place, they were using a lot of the same techniques that they would that they learned at Disney. So there was a kind of a technical approach at Warner Brothers that felt very Disney-esque and one of those big kind of uh, innovations that they had at the time was the ability to sync sound with their animation which was something that was a very big deal. Um, in the late 20s you get the advent of the talkies which is basically just sync sound with film um, so you could like hear the sound at the same time as the movie so that gives way to the talkies so film that doesn't need different title cards to explain what the characters are saying but they can just say it and the sound is on the film reel itself i talked a little bit about this uh with the history of disney like princess music i went into it, that a little bit um but one of the first early adopters of that was disney with steamboat willie and so because all those animators were kind of there around that time they leave to go to warner brothers they take that technique with them and when they're there they create 
this uh, kind of host of of animation called Merry Melodies, which was meant to obviously kind of, I wouldn't say pay homage, but instead be kind of a direct competitor to Disney's Silly Symphonies. Um, and if you're not aware, Silly Symphonies and Merry Melodies were basically just animation set to music. Um, so it was the whole idea again of sync sound. It was these animated shorts that were set to music. You would have these characters singing, you know, popular songs, little ditties, what have you. Um, very popular at Disney, again, with silly symphonies. And so at Warner Brothers, um, the place, kind of the birthplace of all of this was called Termite Terrace. And at Termite Terrace is where Merry Melodies was created. And a Merry Melodies, if you've watched a couple of early Looney Tunes shorts and everything, you'll see like a Merry Melodies cartoon or whatever. Um, and that's essentially what this was. It's just a collection of animated shorts. So in the beginning of Merry Melodies, aka Looney Tunes, we don't get like Bugs Bunny and Daffy and all these other characters, Elmer Fudd, like right off the bat. At this point, we're in the early 30s. We wouldn't really get those characters until the late 30s, early 40s. Like Bugs Bunny would show up in kind of sprinkled appearances throughout the 30s, but it wasn't until the 40s that he kind of came like this really big character in fact none of those characters were really all that much at the forefront of the Mary Melodies cartoons the their biggest star their biggest first hit kind of um as far as characters go was a character by the name of Bosco the talk ink kid and I'm not gonna go too far into Bosco because I feel like that could be an episode pretty much all by itself um talking about the incredibly racist history of of american animation um but bosco was this character that for so long a lot of people directly connected to either warner brothers or the creation of the character itself were like oh we don't really know what he's supposed to be like is he supposed to be a person he's supposed to be an animal and like a lot of scholars um mainly leonard malton uh in a book the uh, which the name of it is completely lost me um basically were like yeah this was obviously a caricature a very racist caricature <laughs> of a little black boy and like that was the intended purpose of it like the character spoke in very stereotypical like aave um there was just a lot of like different racial stereotypes that were baked into the character and a lot of his characterization how he would behave how he would talk uh was borrowed from a lot of popular vaudeville and minstrel acts of the time so obviously you can't deny that there is a very a racist component to this character but nevertheless because of the time period this character was kind of the first to to lead the charge of the merry melodies crew uh, you should say so it uh, bosco was invented by hugh Harmon and rudolph ising and so they create this character and i think they created it when they were at universal and they brought it with them to uh warner brothers and it was kind of this this hit basically they turned they got turned down by paramount and universal with the character like they were like oh you know 
it's filler it's nothing that we want right now like they were in contract with some other animation other cartoons and so they just were like we don't care about this bosco character um so they had it in their back pocket when they came to warner brothers and they were like hey we, we created this character blah, blah 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 it was meant to be kind of a rival to mickey mouse i wouldn't say bosco looks exactly like mickey mouse there's some very clear differences but you could tell that they were both pulling from the same perhaps racist caricature um but disney really did not care all that much about bosco um because i think the the intent of it um there's a, a quote from a animator by the name of jack zander um, who wrote in a, in a letter basically kind of detailing the inside joke of, of Bosco and he says quote there was in fact a joke about who or what Bosco was we had a cleaning man or handyman or whatever who used to hang out around the studio and he asked one day you got Mickey the mouse and Felix the cat but Bosco the what I couldn't answer no one openly admitted that he was a little black boy but it was true um, so clearly they, no one wanted to openly admit it, but those are the origins of, of Bosco. So shock or surprise, something in entertainment had racist origins. It feels like that we come around to that quite a bit, uh, on this show, but that's kind of where things began as far as the Merry Melodies and the Looney Tunes. So Bosco is kind of their their character that they'd like to lead the charge in his first um the very first like looney tune mary melodies cartoon was called sinking in the bathtub and it was starring bosco and this is where we get the first um appearance of the kind of looney tunes uh, tagline that's all folks bosco was the one who said it um and then obviously that mantle would eventually be passed on to other characters but you know whatever Eventually, there was some copyright disputes over who owned Bosco, and that would kind of lead to the character just not being around anymore because they just couldn't use it. I think eventually, um, the two creators of the character had a dispute with uh, kind of another producer by the name of Leon Le uh, Schlesinger. And they couldn't decide over budget. It was like a budget money dispute, as it always is uh, when it comes to Hollywood, anything. And so eventually they take the character and they go to MGM. And so Warner Brothers doesn't have Bosco anymore. So they're like, great, we got to think of some other characters. <laughs> so it's at this time that more talent is brought in. Again, a lot of people from Disney are brought over. Um, it's also in and around this time that we get Chuck Jones, uh, who was, I think he was already kind of there, but he's put up in the position of like a lead animator. So we started to get more of his stuff. And that's when we get the creation of a lot more of the Warner Brothers characters that we know a little bit more and we're a little bit more familiar with. So around 19... The mid-1930s is when we're starting to get these new characters. And again, like I said, Bugs Bunny is not the most popular character around this time of the class of Looney Tunes. 
that we know uh porky pig is the is like the bugs bunny of the looney tunes bunch like porky pig was an like an extremely successful character audiences loved him and i think he first he first showed up in a 1935 short called i haven't got a hat and i think people just liked how he sang and his uh his stutter is a product of one of the first voice actors to play him um and then eventually i think they said that it would take like hours for them to record because of this speech impediment that the actor had and eventually the uh voice role would go to mel blank which he did basically all of the looney tunes characters um and i guess it they kind of just like carried it over from the voice actor which was kind of messed up um and they just kind of made it a part of of his character they were just like you know what he will have a a stutter and that will be what the character is um and then that was it that was kind of that was all she wrote um but they basically kept on the tradition of having a character at the end say you know that's all folks and that will essentially become porky's gig um uh, but yeah for a, a couple of years i would say probably like five years or so uh, maybe a little bit more uh porky was amongst the most if not the most popular character of the looney tunes and then the second most popular character again not bugs bunny yet it was Daffy Duck. <laughs> Daffy Duck was like the second most popular character um, to appear. And I think a big thing about these characters as they were beginning to be rolled out and would appear in different shorts and what really kind of cemented Warner Brothers as being different from Disney um, was that these characters are not afraid to be mean. Um, which was something that really didn't happen all that much at Disney. Now that isn't to say that like if you've seen kind of very, very early um, Mickey Mouse shorts, Mickey Mouse is definitely different than he is now. He's not like not very much the, the leader type that he is now and very sweet and saccharine and would never be outrightly like mean to anyone. He's a little more uh, rough around the edges in his early shorts, but very quickly do they kind of smooth out the edges of mickey with looney tunes characters especially with a character like bugs bunny uh the kind of like sarcastic wise ass personality that they had was baked in kind of from the beginning like of course these characters are you know singing songs and doing little dances but there was just definitely kind of a jagged edge to some if not most looney tunes characters and there was obviously like a very big streak of uh violence i guess and kind of this like very just anarchy forward style that goes with these with these characters um and i think that's what made them that's obviously that's what distinguished them from disney and uh, mainly well, it was mainly Disney at the time. Um, but I think that's also what's kind of cemented them for so long is that, you know, we didn't want the the fairy tale and the happily ever after. You could go to, to the Looney Tunes and watch a bug and a duck try to blow each other up. And so <laughs> it gave a little bit of, of, of spice to, to the animation mix. 
So obviously, like I said, um, from the 40s onward, we get the Looney Tunes in hundreds, hundreds, I think it probably nears thousands of, of shorts. Um, two of my favorites and two of the most popular, if you know anything about Looney Tunes, you probably have heard about these shorts, but um, what's Opera Doc is phenomenal Bugs Bunny cartoon, pretty timeless, still holds up, but my personal favorite, and I watched it for the first time when I was in college, uh, was Duck Amuck, which is a Daffy Duck cartoon animated by Chuck Jones. It is, it's phenomenal. It's one of my favorite pieces of animation. Um, but those two shorts amongst a lot of other shorts that obviously I, it would take me forever to mention, like I said, give off that different, very, uh, sarcastic, sometimes mean, very violent style to the Looney Tunes that they became so known for. And for a very long time, these Merry Melody cartoons, which would eventually kind of just turn into Looney Tunes, um, got to show this cast of characters in those environments and they yielded great success. The Looney Tunes for a very long time were mainly just kind of products of shorts in theaters and you would only really see them in theaters because obviously television hadn't been invented yet. And then almost as soon as we get television, the Looney Tunes make their way to television. And I think that's where they kind of cemented their legacy um, for so many years because they were one of the, the first properties to really take advantage of syndication almost as soon as it was invented. Like the Looney Tunes were, were syndicated very quickly. And the Looney Tunes kind of uh, borrowed the, or not necessarily borrowed, but ran in tandem with another Warner Brothers adjacent property. Again, a lot of the stuff you got from uh, Hanna-Barbera, which is that because there was so much animation that they could produce relatively cheaply, uh, they could churn out these cartoons. And then by the time syndication comes along, they can play, you know, a new cartoon every day for 20 years. And they could continue to do it and just keep going and going and going and going and going. And that's kind of, that's where, where Disney may not have always been front and center um, and was, you know, really putting a lot of their ducks into the feature film side of things. The Looney Tunes were able to capture the uh, kind of American attention in television, in the medium of television. And I think that's why personally for me I think that's why they work best in that television medium but I digress we'll get there so obviously they go into syndication there are some like Looney Tunes movies that come out around this time but they're really just kind of compilations of different shorts that are kind of spliced together with new pieces of animation um they're not like new narratives necessarily um it's not until space jam that we get a somewhat wholly original story of the looney tunes in a feature film um arena and it's kind of crazy that they have been around since the 30s and it wasn't until like 1996 that they actually got a feature film it's crazy no to be fair they do appear in a feature film, a few of them, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, 
um which i'm i know i've talked about on tiktok um quite a bit and i'm pretty sure i have an episode talking about who framed roger rabbit on the podcast if not i need to make one because it's my favorite thing to talk about um it's just a movie that hollywood will never make again but anyways it's the first and as far as i know only time that we've seen bugs bunny and mickey mouse on screen together and i think it's just it's funny um that moment in who framed roger rabbit with them on camera together uh because you really kind of wouldn't have one without the other uh because of the success of of disney and because so many of the animators left and went on to other places they were able to create this new character bugs bunny who becomes massive in the world of animation and then it kind of culminates in this moment where you know the students surpass the master in a weird way and you have these two characters that are appearing on screen together and it was like a contractual obligation that they appear at the same for the same amount of time um in in this film i want to set the record straight in a very small brief tangent every time i talk about who from roger rabbit and i bring up the fact that it was a contractual obligation between disney and warner brothers that bugs bunny and mickey mouse appear on screen for the exact same amount of time there's always someone who's like uh well actually they don't because mickey mouse shows up on screen no 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 no. when i tell you that they were they crossed those t's and dotted those i's it is litigation legalese was spread all throughout that film so the scene that I'm referencing is when Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny are floating through the air with Eddie Valiant and people always kind of cite like, oh, Mickey Mouse, I think either it was Mickey or Bugs got more time. And that's not the case. Literally one enters the frame before the other and whoever wasn't in frame to begin with leaves the frame last. So they got the same exact amount of time. It just didn't mean that they were on screen at the same exact time but they got the same amount of time no disney didn't like pull the wool over warner brothers eyes warner brothers didn't pull the wool over disney's eyes like it was very much so like down to the millisecond calculated to make sure that these characters got this same exact amount of time same for the scene with daffy duck and donald duck with like the dueling pianos it's the same same exact amount of time i promise you guys <laughs> it was no one was pulling the wool over anyone's eyes with this movie like it it just it very much so was not bad anyways getting back to it um but yeah like i said the first kind of by themselves somewhat feature of looney tunes doesn't come until the mid 90s and it was a box office hit like it made it more than 100 million dollars domestically um but you can kind of tell that this is when Hollywood is like beginning to grow bored of figuring out new ways uh, to integrate the Looney Tunes. It doesn't mean that they stop trying necessarily because around this time we have Tiny Tunes, which is kind of like a an offshoot of the Looney Tunes. Um, they're not the Looney Tunes. They're not like the baby version because they would make that show in the early 2000s. But it's like an offshoot of the Looney Tunes. Um, then, you know, in the early 2000s, you get Looney Tunes back in action, which I hold up as the best Looney Tunes movie. 
but I digress. Um, and then you get other, you know, again, television is the main place where we see the most tries with the Looney Tunes property. Um, you get baby Looney Tunes. I think it's a bit of a, you get like Duck Dodgers and everything like that. Like there is a repetitious attempt to include the Looney Tunes. And then eventually they kind of just stop. They stop trying to, 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 I, I think, keep them front and center. Um, because I don't know if it was like the execs growing weary. I don't know if they thought the audiences were growing weary. I'm not really sure, but the, uh, forefrontness of the Looney Tunes begins to fade a little bit. I wouldn't say that they just completely disappear, but they're not as front and center as they were um, maybe pre-Looney Tunes back in action. And you could attribute the lack of box office success of that movie to that fact. You could, but I don't necessarily know if that's totally foolproof. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So this leads me to my my second point, which is that I don't think Hollywood really knows what to do with the Looney Tunes. And I could understand maybe why, but I think a lot of people have tried to wrap their, their heads around, you know, maybe why Hollywood is, is not so sure of the Looney Tunes place and everything, especially in a contemporary landscape. And I think where animation is just as a whole has to do with a lot with that too. So like I said, the majority of the Looney Tunes' history be, was in the theater as shorts. Um, so they're like seven to 11 minute shorts and there's not a ton of place for that kind of short form animation in a theatrical setting like it once was for that long stretch of you know, maybe from the 30s to about the 60s or 70s. And then, you know, obviously the the change, they leave the theater and they go to television. But the ask of television animation now is not what it was in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even, you know, early 2000s. I think there is a call for more intentional storytelling and more um kind of like connective tissue throughout every single episode i don't know the the place of very kind of like one shot style animation not to say that there's no animation that exists like that anymore because clearly there are shows that exist like that but what i mean is that i don't know if it's enough anymore to just have these characters um, in these short form situations without letting them be as chaotic <laughs> as they as they once were. There's 
the big thing with the Looney Tunes that I think has caused such strife within Hollywood as, as to what to do with them is the fact that they're not allowed to be as crass and as um, the the sarcastic, wise-ass, kind of violent streak that was kind of just this unabashed creativity of the Looney Tunes. There's this, there's this hesitancy to let them be that. Um, and in fact, there's been this kind of massive... I wouldn't say sanitization because that's a, it sounds a little bit too clinical for what's happened to them. But I think similar to Mickey, the edges of their characters have been rounded out a little bit. Um, and it isn't to say that it's totally bad either because the Looney Tunes show that ran um, from like, I think it ran for like two seasons, um, that was like a, a sitcom is great. And I think the legacy in large part, at least on social media of Looney Tunes is from that show because the humor is so just like dry and it's very funny. It's not violent or anything. It's just kind of the Looney Tunes in a very domestic, very mundane setting, but it is still funny. Like it still has that uh, comedic DNA that you can find in other shorts, um, that are more the the writing and the uh the, the words that the characters are saying versus any of the physical comedy or the you know violence or anything like that but there's still this kind of i think hesitancy with letting them be fully creative and letting the full brunt of their creativity be realized in the way that it was in the past and so i think the main problem with the looney tunes uh if not for you know corporate execs especially at wb uh allegedly not really caring all that much about the looney tunes um or caring to figure out anything to do with them all that much or even really maintaining the sanctity of their animation department um it's that but it's also that the the context in which they're existing in is very very different um the looney tunes are and i was talking about this with a friend but the looney tunes are characters that are incredibly uh, malleable and they can be adapted to a lot of different environments um and there's not a real big lore when it comes to these characters so like there's not this big history that's connected to the characters and how they interact with one another like you can kind of plop them in any situation and whatever happens in that situation is what happens to them and if you plop them in a different situation it's a different you know piece of history and they don't necessarily carry that history of each short because again it like it was hundreds of shorts nearing thousands of shorts that were created with these characters um so there's not necessarily like a established a fully established canon of these characters and so i think because of where we are in society with this just massive yearning and urgency and need for canon and lore and you know having this fully realized history with these characters um there's a fear i could call it that the looney tunes aren't a, a viable property in that way um i was talking about this on on twitter and i brought up that also it's kind of a similar thing with disney and the muppets and that will have to be its own episode because i think 
the case of Disney and the Muppets is very similar to this, but also has its own intricacies that I assume we'd be here all day. Um, we're already nearing 40 minutes with, <laughs> with this episode, but th- there are a lot of studios that have that feign this kind of reverence for these different properties that were very beloved and are still very beloved and people still are engaged with and enjoy and they kind of they feign reverence and then they're just like we we love these properties but we just you know we don't know what to do with them and so they just sit on a shelf and they rot and nothing ends up happening to them but this leads me to my my last point and my final point before I get you out of here but I think that I wouldn't necessarily say that that tide is turning fully I don't know if you can ask the average person and be like do you care about the Looney Tunes and they would be like yeah fine I guess I don't know if it would get any answers beyond that but what I do think is happening that is not that some execs I don't think could could take uh could have anticipated let's just say that um was the situation that happened around the film that hasn't come out yet coyote versus acme which was going to be another live action animation hybrid um and again like other than television the live action animation hybrid is kind of the best format for the looney tunes i think it allows them to interact with an environment that is not fully you know animated it allows for them to be a little bit more sarcastic and i think again looney tunes back in action is the best example of that it's funny it's irreverent it's very referential and it's a a very much so what the looney tunes are um there's some people who hate that movie and i just don't have i don't have time for them and I, i i don't have time for the hate i don't i don't that's the movie that brendan fraser should have got the the oscar for that's just my personal opinion but i digress um but coyote versus acme was yet another casualty of warner brothers weird kind of um streak of making films and basically uh throwing them in a vault and being like yeah we're never going to release them um essentially allegedly uh for the or not allegedly i think it's actually but allegedly for the tax credit that you could get um and what i love about the situation is that the crew basically kind of fought back you know like they 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 not fought back in like a aggressive way but they were very candid and honest with releasing you know the kind of like behind the scenes footage and just showing the labor of love that went into this film and as far as we know um this film was testing well with test audiences like it test audiences really enjoyed it they thought it was funny they thought it had a a lot of heart so you would think that a film that is testing well would just be released and they could make the money that they would have gotten from the tax credit allegedly um probably back at the box office because i think the tax credit they got for it was like 30 million dollars they could have made that at the box office with this film i love that the crew and everyone connected to it was just very honest and candid with how much of a labor of love it was and how much they enjoyed the experience and how they wish that audiences 
could see it. And I think, especially now in a post-strike world, audiences and people in the industry are kind of not here for art just being thrown away and art being seen as just completely dispensable and anyone connected to that art also being seen as dispensable. And so the Coyote versus Acme situation, I think they were hoping that people just didn't care um, because it's animated and because it's the Looney Tunes. They didn't think that people would care all that much about it and that they could kind of shelve it and, you know, people would kind of, it would fall um, kind of on, on silence. And that's not the case. And so now Warner Brothers won't release it themselves, but they'll allow it to be shopped around. And it seems like a lot of studios are chomping at the bit to release this movie. Maybe it's the the drama connected to it. Maybe it's because they genuinely think, you know, it's a, a good movie. It really doesn't matter, but it's just showing that the pushback that's happening is showing that the tides in, in Hollywood are, are changing, hopefully for the better. You know, who would have thought that this this revolution would have been led by the, the Looney Tunes of all characters? But that's what seems like is happening right now. And I'm glad that it's happening. And I'm glad that there was this pushback because no one in these, you know, many productions that tend to happen, but especially in animation when there is so much love and meticulous calculation and execution that goes into the medium it shouldn't just be thrown away nothing that is made and edited and acted and, and written and directed and all the, the all the moving parts that go into a production shouldn't just allow to be kept behind a vault just so a company could you know get a tax incentive um and luckily there has been some kind of like federal it, murmur murmurings is very much so kind of low level now but i think there was a senator it was basically saying that there should be a call uh, for an investigation into these studios who kind of do this and make it a regular practice of keeping, of making these films and basically shelving them for the purposes of, of tax incentives. I think they said that it's the equivalent of, you know, a company purposely committing arson on a building that they own to collect the insurance money. Like that's the equivalent of this. And it's very, it's very in your face. They're very in your face about it. And I think it's worthy of an investigation. And there should be something set in place, some guardrail set in place so that this doesn't happen. Because we, we went through it with, with Batgirl and there are countless other productions that have had this similar fate. Um, and Coyote versus Acme was, was going to be another one. But I'm glad that there is this pushback that's beginning to happen and hopefully hopefully from this we also do get uh batgirl released from the vault as well um but i think something's different something's changing something's happening in hollywood right now and you know what it would be the sweetest funniest revenge if that tie turning was caused by the freaking Looney Tunes. <laughs> uh, 
I hope you enjoyed this week's episode, Afternooners. If you don't know, the Afternooners is my name for all of us. So if you made it to the end of this episode, congratulations, you're an Afternooner now. If you want to know where else to find me on the internet, you can find me at the Afternoon Special on TikTok or Instagram. I'm coming back to TikTok. I've been away because obviously there was a strike, uh, but I'm coming back. Um, or over on Twitter at hi, I'm Bobby, H-I-I-M-B-O-B-B-I. And if you're thinking, Bobby, I need to go and watch Looney Tunes back in action because it should have been an Oscar winning film. Um, I'm also going to do that. And when you're done, I've left all that information in the description down below just for you. You are welcome. I hope you enjoyed this week's chat. And that you'll join me again next week for another pop culture deep dive. Later days, friends. Hi, just checking in and seeing if you might want to step away from the noise of the world for just a moment and connect back to you. If so, join me on my podcast, Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon, where we'll explore mindfulness, self-love, and personal growth as I share practical insights and tools to hopefully help inspire you to start to take charge of your mental and emotional well-being. Search for Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts.